John 19.5. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man! When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king! And they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. May God bless to our hearts the reading and now the preaching of his word. Amen. Do you know what it's like to feel trapped? I mean, really trapped. Daphne and I recently watched a documentary on the 12 Taiwanese children who were trapped in a cave when the monsoon hit. Thirteen people, their football coach, was with them on 400 square feet of rock with nowhere they could go day after day after day. Being Physically stuck is demoralizing. It feels hopeless. And so also is being morally stuck. And that is far more common. And the feeling of being morally stuck, even when we're not, is even more common. The most vivid description I've ever read of this is in Romans 7. Paul writes, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against 
the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul writes that from this side of redemption. He writes that after God the Holy Spirit had begun to renew his mind. But he vividly remembers the battle between his sin and his own desires and the time when he could not win. Do you want an example of someone in the condition Paul describes without the perspective of regeneration? You just look at Pilate in this morning's passage. He exhibits and knows well all the angst that Paul describes without any of the freedom that Paul has found in Christ. As we considered last week, this section of John's gospel offers a contrast in kingships. When Christ is king, those who abide in him are free. This is as true in individual lives as it will be of the whole world at his consummation. But when anyone or anything else has the role of ultimate in our lives, no matter who or what it is, we will be slaves. It's true even when we put ourselves in that ultimate place. Perhaps especially true. You would think that being king and lord of your own life is as good as it gets. But we see in Pilate and many others that it's not all it's cracked up to be. In fact, hidden behind the freedom of having nothing but our own desires to submit to is a most sinister kind of slavery. Slavery to sin and therefore to death. How often people describing the decisions they regret feel compelled to include some form of, I didn't have a choice, or there was nothing else I could do. Maybe they had to keep up appearances, or maybe they had to go along with the crowd. It's not what they would have chosen to do, so they say, but in the end, it's what they did. There were powerful forces working against them. Pilate and Jesus offer quite the contrast of slavery and freedom. Jesus looks like a slave. He looks weak and powerless. He appears to be the one who should be afraid, who should second guess his plan and what he will do next. Pilate appears to be free. He appears to be the one who's in control, the one who has all the power. To human eyes, it's ridiculous in this moment that Pilate would have anything to fear. That's the thing about appearances. They're often just wrong. Pilate hates the Sanhedrin and the Jewish leaders. They've caused him trouble before, and they now seem insistent on causing him trouble again. But even so, should he really feel trapped? Like he's got nowhere else to go. He's the governor. They're an occupied people under his rule. He can get word to the emperor about the facts of this situation far quicker than they can. And 
Should he let Jesus go free? All the facts are on his side. Jesus is innocent. He's no threat to the Roman Empire. The Sanhedrin are trying to use the empire for their own wicked purposes. Even Emperor Tiberius, paranoid as he is, can understand with explanation what's happening here and who's to blame. But Pilate doesn't set Jesus free. Why? He's afraid. This is an extreme example, perhaps the most extreme example of a principle you've heard me quote often. Most of the worst decisions that most people will ever make are because of fear. Not fear of God, of course. If Pilate feared God, he'd set Jesus free. But Pilate fears the Sanhedrin. He feared the emperor. He feared the crowd. He did not fear the only one in this story worthy of fear. He looked right at the king of all creation, the master of the universe, and mocked him as king of the Jews. Pilate knows what's true. He repeats Jesus' innocence again and again. But don't you find oftentimes that fear speaks louder than the truth? He fears the embarrassment of having to explain himself to Tiberius. He fears that he won't be believed. He fears that he could lose his power and his way of life. He fears everything but God. Because that's how it is with fear. You either fear God or you fear everything else. The Jewish rulers can see it and they exploit it to their advantage. They pretend to be more loyal to Caesar even than Pilate himself is. And of course, it's important to remember that even when it looks like they're in control, they're acting out of fear as well. They want Jesus dead because they fear what will happen if the people listen to Jesus rather than to them. They're afraid that he's a better theologian and judge. They're afraid that he has the power of God to heal They're afraid of anyone who so confidently disobeys them while maintaining full loyalty to God, the God they claim to be serving. Pilate's title and position would give you the impression that he's free. The effectiveness of the Sanhedrin in getting what they want gives you the impression that they're free. But who really has the power here? Who in this story is really free and who is really a slave? The thing about appearances is they're often wrong. Fear takes a lot of forms. You've all seen that firsthand. Sometimes fear just, yes, looks like fear. Pilate in verses 8 and 9, when he learns that Jesus claims to be a son of God, he's obviously afraid. Is that true? I just had Jesus flogged and this guy might be divine. Maybe this is why his wife had such a bad dream. Maybe this is when all of their superstitions come true. Pilate is afraid, and you see that fear. At times, we admit we're afraid. Our fear manifests as fear. At times, we want credit for that. We say, hey, at least we're being honest about our fears. And honesty is good. But most of the time when we're afraid, what we should be honest about 
is the need to confess our fear as the sin of unbelief. Most often, though, fear comes out as something else. Sometimes fear comes out as pride. Look at Pilate's ridicule in verse 5. Here is your king, he means to say to the Jews. Here, this beaten, weak, pathetic excuse for a man. This is exactly what a people like you deserve for a king. He does the same thing in verse 14 with renewed vigor. It's a bold move from a man who's about to give these people he's mocking exactly what they want because he's afraid of them. In verse 10, Pilate, afraid of Jesus, a potential son of God, pulls the prideful, don't you know who I am, routine. We've seen that. Maybe we've done that. Fear can make people raise their voices, lash out at others, or even turn violent. The analogy we use is to a caged animal. They were trapped. And what we're really saying is, what choice did they have? What else could they have done in that position? And for the unbeliever, the analysis isn't wrong. Fear is the reasonable result of any life where Christ is not king. There are a lot of powerful forces out there working against you. Who or what can you put your trust and hope in that has the absolute power to save you? Everyone and everything else is limited. Everyone and everything else will fail. And that includes even you. We want to be in control. Those of us who are really fearful tend to trust only ourselves. We must know all the information and have the plan and get people one way or another to do what we want them to do. That's the only way we're safe is if we are in control. At least that's what we want to believe. But the truth is even we don't believe it. Even we know it's not true. We know our weaknesses, our limitations, and our failures. And because we know, we're not safe. And so we're afraid. Kids, I hope you understand how normal your fears are. That doesn't make them okay. I'll talk about what to do with fear in just a minute. But as kids, we often think that we're the only ones who have these fears. What will other people think? Will things be okay or will something bad happen? Will I be accepted or rejected? The fears behind these questions are part of what it is to be human since the fall. Every grown-up in this room has had them too. Every adult in this passage is dealing with fear. Either at the forefront of their minds like Pilate, or as the secret motivation for their actions like the Jewish leaders, or as the unrealized cause of the emptiness they feel toward God, like the crowds. Fear is powerful. So what can be done about it? It does feel like we're trapped. On the one hand, we don't want to be afraid. As Christians, we know fear is wrong, but all people understand that fear is unhelpful and unhealthy. 
Even when we have the desire to do what is right, the strong desire, like Pilate says he has here. Even then, because of fear, we don't have the ability to carry it out. Being in control hasn't made Pilate feel free. He feels trapped. He feels captive to doing exactly the thing he doesn't want to do. And we think we know how he feels. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? In this passage, Jesus is dealing with fear as well. But he's not being controlled by fear as the others are. He's dealing with fear by delivering the knockout blow for all who will abide in him. One would expect Jesus to be afraid of Pilate. He's already beaten him once. He asserts in verse 10 that he holds Jesus' very life in his hands. When he comes back in and demands, where are you from? Pilate expects an answer. He's the one in control. He's the one who is free. But Jesus doesn't give him an answer. He isn't afraid of him. Jesus, who knows that only God is to be feared, deals in truth. It's Pilate who fears men that must deal in lies. So Pilate has not proven himself worthy of an answer. Pilate's power doesn't control Jesus. His wants and desires don't control Jesus because fear plays no role in Jesus' decision about what he will do. Let me say that another way. Jesus is free. He's free to do what he wants to do. He's free to do what's right because he is not controlled by fear. And that means he's not controlled by sin. The members of the Sanhedrin are slaves to sin, and we can tell because what they do, they do out of fear. Pilate is a slave to sin. We can tell because what he does is controlled by his fears. They are slaves, not able to do what they want. They are slaves to sin, to what their fears tell them to do. Pilate gives the appearance of importance, doesn't he? He thinks he's powerful but he's not even in control of his own actions. He's a slave. How can we tell? Fear wins in him. The Sanhedrin give the appearance of importance. They believe that they're powerful. They get exactly what they want from this situation, but they are not in control even of their own actions. They are slaves. And we can tell. Because fear wins in them. Jesus tells Pilate in verse 11 that he has no power in and of himself. Even his role in the evil he's currently working, Pilate, mighty Pilate, his role isn't even the most important role. Somebody else's sin is greater. Pilate is only a pawn in Caiaphas' hand. Caiaphas handed Jesus over to Pilate. 
You think it's strength to be a pawn in somebody else's political scheming? Pilate's lack of moral power. He doesn't even have the strength to do what he knows is right. The angst that he feels in all of this reveal that he is a slave, by no means free. He knows what is right. He says he wants to do it. He says he's powerful enough to do it. But in the end, he cannot do it. Because the freedom to do what's right only comes when the chains of slavery to sin are broken. That's why Paul cries out, who will deliver me from this body of death? What's needed is not for us to have more power. Paul doesn't say, how do I get out of this mess? How do I set myself free? How do I fix this problem? Paul cries out, who will deliver me? What's needed is not for us to have more power. What's needed is for an even greater power to deliver us from the power of sin. And Jesus, through Pilate, the Sanhedrin, the crowds who all miss it, Jesus does exactly that here. Now we'd expect Pilate to miss it. But that the Jewish leaders and crowds miss it, humanly speaking, is one of the great tragedies of history. The shepherds of the flock of Israel are leading their people to the slaughter. Jesus comes to his own, offering freedom. And the Jewish leaders crucify him to keep their own people in chains. Pilate unknowingly participates in this tragic irony. He presents Jesus to the Jewish people dressed in a purple robe and with a crown of thorns. Behold your king. He means to mock them, but he speaks more truth than he knows. And he speaks more truth than they know. For the people cry out, away with him, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. Wasn't it John who wrote way back there in chapter 1? The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Instead, they said Caesar was their king. Of course, that was just for show. That was to try and intimidate Pilate. Really, each man did what was right in his own eyes. They've rejected all ultimate authorities. No king but self. And while that can manifest as pride or ridicule or anger or violence, we have all of those here, when you dig all the way down beneath those things, you will always find the same thing. Fear. Whatever we project to other people, We know that in our own strength, we cannot keep ourselves safe. And so we fear. 
So what changes when we abide in Christ? Jesus' disciples, watching all these events unfold in history, had a choice to make about how to respond. It doesn't seem like Jesus is winning. It seems like there's a lot to fear. But this moment, every moment, is one battle. It's not the war. And appearances can be deceiving. As one teacher puts it, they succeeded in casting out the righteous one, but in seemingly winning the battle, that lost them the war. Even through their sinful and rebellious act, what appeared like a great victory for the bad guys, Jesus on the cross, Jesus was actually conquering sin and death forever. God's absolute control of all things and his unchangeable plan are what saves his people. To put that another way, what Jesus is doing here on the cross manifesting God's saving love for his people, it's this which casts out all fear. His disciples had a choice about how to respond only because they had been set free in Christ. When they were slaves to sin, they had no choice. But now, With Jesus hanging on this cross, the perfect love of God for his people on display in its most visible form, all who believe are free to choose what's right. It's scary to look like we're losing some of the battles. We're afraid of losing even one. That's why we jump in and take control. Our plan for this will be better than God's was we justify ungodliness to control these situations, to win these battles, to get ahead, to feel safe and secure. But we can't abide in Christ's safety using means that deny his lordship. Abiding in him won't take away the opportunities for fear, but it will give us the opportunity to walk in obedience instead of fear. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul knew. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul knew, Christians, that Jesus has cast out fear. So what must we do with what we know? We must believe that in him, we are finally safe. We must trust that with him on the throne of our lives, we will win the war against sin. We do not need to fear. And because we can do none of this in our own strength, we must daily survey the cross of Christ, the perfect love of God for us, so that as we look upon that cross every day of our lives, we can believe that that love, that his power and grace are sufficient 
for all our needs, even for the casting out of fear in us. Every fear to the glory of God. Amen.